I don't know what book you're reading right now. If you uh, pick out a summer book or if you don't read books, I don't know. But right now, I've been reading this book. It's called Grow Up. And the, uh, it's by Dr. Everett Piper. It's subtitles this, Life Isn't Safe, But It's Good. Grow Up. And it's about how do we deal with the immaturity that we see in American adults that seem to not want to grow up, that seem to want to just live like children and act like children. So it's a really good book. I would recommend it to you, especially if you are like in your 30s and younger uh, I think it could be a really helpful uh, book. So anyway, I'm reading that right now. Last summer, I started reading this, The Complete Personal Memoirs of General Grant. Now, I know that sounds super exciting. Uh, it's really good. I, I made it about, to be honest, made it about halfway through it last summer, and I kind of figured since it's really been hard to find like Dr. Seuss lately. I'm not sure why, but I can't, can't seem to find any Dr. Seuss books. So I thought maybe this summer I'll, I'll finish uh, the memoirs of Ulysses S. Grant. You know, if you, go, if you go to bookstores, if you go to the library, if you go into uh, Ollie's Discount, that place in there, they, there's books, tons and tons of books out there. And, and a lot of them are really good. There's a lot of really good books out there. My question for you is this, what is it that makes this book special, right? There's a lot of people that wonder that. What is it about this book that makes it special? Why do we get up on a Sunday morning? Why do we come here and gather together on a Sunday morning? Sometimes people get together in small groups throughout the week to study this one book. Why do we do that? Why is it that I don't do that same thing with the memoirs of Ulysses S. Grant? I don't study this every week. I don't go you know, line by line, word by word, and I don't do that. And I know that there are, you know, there's book clubs. I don't really have interest in going to a book club, but maybe you've been to a book club, and uh, they, they read a book, and then they talk about it, and they might have long, lengthy in-depth discussions on a book that they've read. But what I've noticed is book clubs don't study the same book for 40, 50 years like some of you have. Why is that? Why is this book so special? This book, Grow Up, uh, what I've noticed, what I like about it, there's some really solid insights into how to make good life choices in here. I also noticed that a lot of the insights are built on the wisdom from this book. And what that tells me is the author of this book has a lot of confidence in the integrity and the credibility of the wisdom found in this book. What's so special about the Bible that we, that we get together and we challenge one another to make life choices based on what we learn in this book, to live up to the standards that we find in this book, to live within the boundaries that we find in this book, to look to this book for answers to some of life's most difficult questions, questions about death questions about marriage and, and parenting that we have, questions about sexuality or 
gender identification, or how do we find joy in life? You know, to someone who's not a believer, to someone who is not a follower of Jesus Christ, the, the emphasis that a Christian puts on this book has got to seem strange. It just does. It, it has to seem ridiculous. They've got to be wondering why in the world it's just a book. Why would, you, why would you spend so much time and energy studying one book and put all of your effort into that? It seems crazy to someone who is not a believer. And if I'm being honest with you, I, I get that. If... If, in fact, this was just a collection of ancient manuscripts, if that's all this was, if this was nothing more than a history book, an ancient history book like Josephus, the ancient historian, if that's all this was, I would totally agree with that conclusion. But that's not what this is. This book is special, and what makes this book special is that it is the Word of God. It is the breath of God on the page. We've been studying this letter, 1 Thessalonians now, for about a month, and this, this handwritten letter, this personal letter from the Apostle Paul and his ministry team written to the believers in Thessalonica is not just an ancient letter that's been preserved for us and that we've stuck into this collection of other letters and books written by some people a long, long time ago. What we are reading and studying every week is the Word of God. It is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And as I say that out loud, I want you to know I recognize that that is a bold statement. That is a big statement. How would I know that? Right To stand here and say that what we are reading is the Word of God that's inspired by the Holy Spirit. How do you know? Now, if you're someone who has been a Christian a long time, and you hear me say that this is the Word of God, and you hear me say, stand here and say, inspired by the Holy Spirit, you may have accepted that by faith a long time ago, and you hear that statement, and you're like, hashtag snooze. I have already believed that a long time. This is, this is not going to be helpful to me. Here's why I think it's going to be helpful to you. Because maybe you accept that and believe that by faith, but what about the, the person that you work with? What about the student that you go to school with? What about that person in your family that you're going to see at the next family gathering that looks at you and says to you, why do you believe that this is the Word of God? Why, why do you put so much effort into the Bible? Why, what would make you believe this is somehow inspired by the Holy Spirit, this, this collection of ancient manuscripts and history lessons? Why do you think it's so special? Would you know how to answer them? So that's what I'm hoping to do this morning. I'm hoping to be able to help you be able to answer that question. And I'm also hoping that if there is someone in the room on the other side of that camera 
that wonders what it is about this book that Christians find so special and just doesn't get it, I'm hoping to answer that question this morning. So to start with, I'm going to ask you to open your Bible. If you don't have one with you, there's one there in the pew. You can grab that one to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Therefore, we never, who's we? Well, the Apostle Paul, his ministry team, right? Silas, Timothy. We never stop thanking God that when you received, you might have the word accepted. When you accepted, when you received his message from us, you didn't think of our words as mere human ideas. It wasn't just mere human words. No, you accepted what we said as the very Word of God, which of course it is. That's a bold claim. That's a big claim. The, the words that Paul spoke to them was not just human words, but the Word of God. That's how you accepted it. That's how you received it. And he says, he affirms that, yes, that's exactly what it was. And this word continues to work in you who believe. Paul was thankful that the believers in Thessalonica believed that the word of God was something special. They received it. They accepted it as truth. And it was evident that they accepted and received it as truth because it was at work in them. It was changing them, transforming them to become more like Jesus. And he could see that in them. What's interesting to me about this statement that Paul makes in verse 13 is that the believers in Thessalonica, they did not yet have this book in the form that you and I have it. You get that, right? I mean, this letter, was they just got it. That was the first letter uh, that they had received. They didn't have this book in this form like you and I do. That you and I, if you've been Christian for a long time, we refer to this as the Word of God, and we just accept that. And... So what's Paul talking about? He says, you received, you accepted this as the Word of God. He was referring to to what he and his ministry team taught them about Jesus, what they taught them about what God expects of them. So we have to wrestle with this question for a moment. Is Paul saying that what he spoke, what Paul spoke, and then eventually what Paul wrote, is he saying that that is the Word of God? It's a big statement. Some of you probably remember the story of Moses. A lot of people know that story of Moses and the burning bush. When God spoke directly to Moses audibly, he could hear the, the voice of God, the word of God. And then later on, uh, on the mountain with the Ten Commandments, God spoke. You might know the story of the prophet Elijah who went into this depression and he was consumed with fear and he ran off and, and God spoke to him. If you remember the story, he spoke to him in a gentle whisper. Remember that? But he spoke. 
There are times when people heard the voice of God, the audible word of God, but that's not the only way that God has spoken. John chapter 1, verse 1. This is a fascinating verse. John 1, 1. As John describes Jesus this way, he writes, In the beginning, the Word. He's using that word as a title for Jesus. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him. Nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the living Word of God. The words, the life of Jesus is the Word of God in living form. 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1, check this out, 2 Peter chapter 1, look at verse 20, verse 20 says, Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or interpretation or from human initiative. This criticism that this is somehow just an ancient uh, gathering of ancient texts and manuscripts from people that we've never met, collected into this book, just written by a bunch of old guys. That's not, that's not what this says. This says that it wasn't, it wasn't through their own initiative. No, those prophets were moved or inspired by the Holy Spirit. They spoke from God. The Word of God, the, the prophets, the, the apostles, as, as, uh, as Paul is describing here in 1 Thessalonians, when they spoke, it was the Word of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit. One more, 2 Timothy 3.16. 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture, beginning to end, all of it, Old Testament, New Testament, all Scripture is inspired by God. And because it's inspired by God, it's useful to teach us what's true and to make us realize what, what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong. It teaches us to do what is right. The Bible is the written Word of God. So this is what the Bible claims for itself. That it is the Word of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit. That's what makes it special. How do we know that? I mean, that's what it claims. I think, I think that one of the best places to find evidence that that is actually true is in biblical prophecy. Peter, Dr. Peter Stoner was a professor of mathematics and astronomy. He wrote this, this book. I don't know if you can still find it. It's an older book this book called Science Speaks. And in, in the book, there's one particular chapter that deals with biblical prophecy and the statistical analysis 
of how likely it would be for prophecy to actually come true. So he does this whole chapter on that, and he just focused on 300, there's over 300 prophecies about Messiah, about Jesus alone. Now, there are other prophecies right, about uh, kingdoms that will come and kingdoms that will fall. There's all kinds of prophecy in Scripture. He focused just on the over 300 prophecies that dealt directly with the Messiah, with Jesus. Prophecies about the timing of His birth, the place of His birth, Bethlehem, the nature of His birth, that, it would be born, uh, that He would be born of a virgin. Prophecies about the fact that He would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. That He would be mocked and crucified. That He would die with the wicked and be buried with the rich. So He just took eight of those. And He pointed out mathematically that the probability of just eight of the 300 of those prophecies being fulfilled in one person, is 1 in 10 to the 17th power. I put that number up there. We don't have a name for that number other than 1 in 10 to the 17th power. Now, a trillion, we throw the word trillion around like it's meaningless anymore, right? People talk about a trillion dollars as, as if it's like 10 bucks. It's, there's, no, there's, no, there's no concept to this word trillion in our, in our language, apparently. A trillion seconds, right? A trillion seconds is equivalent to about 31,000 years. Let that kind of blow your brain apart for a moment. This is beyond that. One in 10 to the 17th power. I don't even have a name for that number. He goes on to describe what that would be like. If you were to take silver dollars, silver dollar, about like that, about an inch, you could fill the entire state of Texas with silver dollars, two feet, about like that, right? About two feet, somewhere in there. Two feet deep. With silver dollars, the entire state of Texas, and then blindfold someone and say, go find the one marked silver dollar somewhere in the state of Texas. That's what that number represents. That's just eight. If you were to take that number then and go to 48, right, it gets harder. Because in one person, we're not talking about 48 random things, we're talking about now, out of the 300, take 48. Now it gets harder. Now we're talking about electrons. You know what electrons are? Like the things that fly around the atom, like the smallest thing that we know of. This number now goes to this, which is 1 in, uh, in 10 to the 157th power. I think I have 157 zeros. I really tried hard to make sure that that was accurate. I counted as best I could. If I'm off by a zero, please. He's a liar. There's only 156 up there. I really tried to make that accurate. One in 10 to the 157th power. If you took electrons and you, and you put them into a ball, 
that ball would have to be bigger than our galaxy. It would, be, it would fill beyond the space of our galaxy, that number, with electrons. Now, blindfold someone and tell them you need to go find one marked electron in the ball of electrons. Crazy. That's only 48. We're talking about over 300. You get his point, right? And they were all accurately fulfilled in Jesus. And that's just the prophecies about him. This book is special because this book is the inspired word of God. And because it's the inspired word of God, it's special in that it's very helpful to us. For example, this book is like a crushing hammer. That's the way it's described in Jeremiah 23, 29. Look at this verse. It's not, uh, God says, Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces? That's, that's how God describes His word. There are times in life when the word of God breaks up hard places in our hearts, hard places in our minds. My wife is really stubborn. Good way to get uh, brownie points on Mother's Day, right? Truth is, uh, oh man, I can be really stubborn too. We've been married over 20 years. We're getting close to that 25-year mark. And here's what I've learned. I've learned that there's something to this birth order thing. We're both firstborn. Uh, we're both pretty confident in our opinions about things. And I've also learned that most of the time, our opinions line up pretty well. And so most of the time, it's like high fives. Yeah, that's what I think too. Yeah. But there are times when our opinions are like this, right? Our opinions collide. And we're both pretty confident that we are right. Hard to believe, right, that that would happen in a marriage? When that happens, the Word of God reminds me of how I'm supposed to work that out. See, my flesh, my flesh wants to win at all costs because I'm also competitive. Not only am I stubborn, I'm pretty competitive. I want to crush this argument. But the Word of God says this, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. Now watch. See the end part there? So that nothing will hinder your prayers. Hmm. Well, that's a conditional thing, right? That means if I'm not treating my wife the way God expects me to, there's a problem with me and God. Well, that's like a hammer breaking apart some hard things in my mind and heart. There's another verse in Ephesians that says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's a pretty high level of sacrificial love. And this is how, this is how God expects me to love my wife 
wife, for our, for our marriage to work, for it to thrive as God intended. My wife has to remember uh, the other passages from Scripture too, from Ephesians 5. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. A wife must respect her husband. Boy, that can, that can be like a hammer on a hard stone. You take two stubborn people, two hard-headed people, with colliding opinions, and you hit them with the crushing hammer of God's Word, now the heart can break, and now God can restore unity the way He intends in a marriage. I'm thankful for that. How do you determine if your anger is righteous or sinful? How do you make that determination? (laughs) Well, if I'm angry, clearly it's for a good reason. There's no way I could possibly be wrong. There's no way I could possibly be overreacting. If I'm angry, I must be right. How do you figure out if you are part of the problem in the strained relationship? Yeah, I understand. You already came to the conclusion that it's all them. How do you figure out that you're part of the problem? How do you discover that, it, that your pride is the only reason that you haven't changed your mind? How do you discover that your pride is the only reason you haven't changed your behavior? Hebrews 4.12 says, The Word of God is living and active Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Here's how we find out. This book is special because this book is inspired by God. This book reveals to us the plan of salvation, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans 1.16, Paul writes, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation for everyone who believes. John 20.31, these are written, talking about the Word of God, the things that we read in Scripture, are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. 1 John 5.13, I write these things, Scripture, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This special revelation of God's Word, it's how we know the plan of salvation from sin, salvation from hell. You and I would not have come up with this plan. You and I would never have thought of it. We didn't figure this plan out by going out and enjoying nature at the lake. We didn't figure it out by by reading some tweet from a celebrity slash philosopher slash social influencer. That's not how we figured it out. How do we know who Jesus is? How do we know what He did for us on the cross? How do we know what His resurrection from the dead actually means for us? 
How do we know that His resurrection proves that all of these promises uh, about the, the death payment of Jesus for, in His blood uh, made atonement against, uh, for God's wrath against our sin? How do we know those things to be true? How do we know they even exist? How do we know that our eternal life Our future home in heaven was paid for by the blood of Jesus. How do we know that we can't earn our way to heaven? Every other religion on the planet teaches that you have to earn your way into the afterlife, except Christianity. Well, how do we how do we know that? How do we know that we can only accept God's gift of grace by faith? We didn't discover that by watching the Discovery Channel. You understand? This book reveals all of those things to us. This book reveals to us the plan of God's salvation. This book is special because it's the inspired Word of God. This book is also a spiritual weapon. In our spiritual battles, in Ephesians 6, if you've never read through Ephesians 6, in that passage, there's this description of what's called the armor of God. It's this metaphor that's described uh, for the, uh, the, the, the spiritual armor that uh, God provides through His Spirit that you and I have access to to fight the spiritual battles that we face. Not only does The Word of God help us defend ourselves against the lies and the attacks of the enemy. It's also described as a sword, as an an offensive weapon that we can fight back and have victory in those spiritual battles. Have you ever... Don't answer out loud, all right? This is is a personal question. Have Have you ever struggled with a particular sin that you just... You've tried, you've tried, and... It just doesn't want to go away. Like you have victory and then, man, I hope I never have to deal with that ever again. And then you're bored, you're stressed, you're tired, you're hungry, and it hits you again. The temptation just is relentless. It doesn't want to go away. You ever had something like that in your life? Well, how do you fight back? Well, for me, for me, I fight back against... Thoughts that I know have no place in my mind. They have no business being in my mind. The way I fight back is with the Word of God. Philippians 4.8 says, Whatever's true, whatever's noble and pure, whatever's right and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy, those are the things that I'm to think about. Those are the things that I'm supposed to focus my mind on. What's right? What's pure? What is lovely and admirable? If that's what I'm focusing my mind on, I can push those other things that have no business in my mind. I can push them out. Well, that comes from the Word of God. Have you ever felt overwhelmed? Stressed out? Like you're at the end of your rope, maybe discouraged? We all have moments like that, I'm sure. And maybe for some, there are longer seasons of of times like that in life. What do you do with that? Well, Romans 15, 4 says, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of Scripture, we might have hope. 
Whatever you're going through, you're not the first. You're not the only one. Your story, whatever it is, is in this book. There's someone who's gone through it. There's someone maybe that's gone through something worse. There are, there are failures recorded in here, as well as stories of redemption. There are stories of people who've, who battled fear and depression. There are stories of people who have seen transformation in their lives that you would never have imagined. Victory over the impossible. This, this book offers us this hope of an incredible future and this strength to endure until we get there. This book is special because it's the inspired Word of God. I want to finish with this question. We looked at a lot of verses today. I put a lot of verses up on the screen just to kind of keep things moving, but the reason that we're looking at so much Scripture is because I really want you to just see how special the Word of God really is, and I want to ask you, is that what you believe? I want to ask you, do you treat the Bible like you really believe that it's special? You know, back in Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul was so thankful that they accepted, they received the Word of God, and what he was so thankful was that he knew that they had received it. He knew that they had accepted it because it was actively at work in their lives, and that was very evident. Are we like the Thessalonians in that we have chosen to accept and receive it as the Word of God, that we have on a daily basis looking for ways to apply the Word of God? I want to finish with James 1. Would you look at this with me? James chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 22. James 1, 22. This is one of those crushing hammer type passages. Don't just listen to God's word. Let me pause and just say thanks for listening this morning. I felt like you were listening. Thank you. Don't just listen to God's Word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you, uh, you're only fooling yourself. For if you listen to the Word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, and you forget what you look like. Kind of a humorous uh, illustration, but I think pretty profound. Verse 25, if you, if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, and you don't forget what you heard, how easy is that to do? Read it, you study it, you look for ways to apply it, you don't forget it. Here's, here's the promise, then God will bless you for doing it. Is that what your life looks like? Is that how you treat the Word of God? That you read it, you, you hear it, you work hard to understand it, you think carefully about it, 
you look for ways to apply it and obey it. You, you, you live life like it actually has authority over your life. If, if this book and my desires collide, does this book win? If this book and your desires collide, does this book win? That's what, that's what James is asking here. Do you look carefully? Do you do what it says? Is the Word of God your source of strength? Is it, is it your source of comfort? Is it your source of courage? Is it your source of hope and joy? The big challenge uh, today, I was thinking a lot about, obviously, reading the Bible and Two of the people that pop into my mind when I think about those who I could look to as an example of reading the Bible faithfully and looking for ways to apply it to their lives would be my mom and my grandmother. When I, when I think back at the example that they set before me, both of them, I, I, uh, I can remember my mom on her knees in our living room she would read the Word of God. I don't mean she'd like read a couple verses and then move on with her day. I mean, she would spend time in the Word of God and she would be on her knees in prayer. That was a daily thing in her life. And I can remember my grandmother, she, she had a, a chair in her living room and right beside it was this little stand. The phone was there and her Bible was there. And uh, she had a devotional like daily bread or something like that. And every day she would spend time in the Word of God of God, and I would know that because uh, she would, if I visited, she would tell me what she had studied. She spent time not only in the Word of God, but then expressing to others what she had learned from the Word of God. They were just incredible examples of, of what it means to, to believe, to really believe that this book is special. So that's the challenge. The challenge today is read the Word of God this week. Yes, privately. We should all be doing that privately every day. But here's a challenge. You know, I, we're all in different stages in life. So if you've got a family, if you're still married, uh, what would it look like? What would it take to read the Bible together as a family or as a couple three times? And when I mean read, I mean like a couple chapters to sit down and read a couple chapters uh, out of the Bible together as a family, as a couple, three times this week. What would that require of you and your schedule this week to make that happen? I wonder what that would, I wonder what kind of impact that might have on your week. Do you think it would make life better? Do you think it could possibly make marriage stronger or your family closer? I'm going to pray that it will. I'm going to pray that you'll do it. And I'm going to pray that, uh, that God will use it. Maybe it's that crushing hammer. Maybe it's that encouragement. I don't know what God wants to do in your family, in your marriage, in your life this week. But I do know this. If you'll spend time in His Word, He's going to do something in your life special. Because this book is special. It's the inspired Word of God.